crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. And uh, uh, yeah, my name is Dan Elliott. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. I'm the pastor of community care. And uh, hey, it's, it's my privilege to be able to talk about a passage of scripture today that isn't very pleasant, but hopefully we'll be able to join together and uh, yeah, realize we're not alone as we go to this passage. Um, th this is part of the, the Sermon on the Mount series that Ryan started a few weeks ago. Um, and when, when Ryan talked to me about it, I was excited to, to take a sermon. And then I went and I, I took a look at the passage that I'm going to be dealing with. Um, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Liable to the same judgment as if you commit murder. Um, Wooba. Okay. Any, anybody been angry this week? <laughs> hey, we're in it together. Listen, uh, hopefully as we dig in, we'll, we'll be able to understand this, this uh, topic of anger. We'll be able to understand a little bit more and hopefully, hopefully, leave with some hope. Um, I, I want to just start with a word of prayer. Hey, and as we go into it, uh, there's a few things I, I just have us lift up. One, our young adults are off on a camping um, retreat this weekend. Let's be praying for them. They're going to be coming back shortly, but let's be praying for them as they process that. Um, second thing, we're, we're starting Family Promise tonight. And for all of you who have volunteered, all of you who have supported in a variety of ways, thank you so much. Thank you for doing that. We're going to have about 16 people who are going to be living here at the church all week long. We're going to be feeding them housing them, just having a great time getting them off the streets. So let's, uh, let's be praying for that. And, and one last thing, um, you know, the Schichtels are, are very important members here at our church, uh, part of our community. And uh, June's mom, May Peng, has passed away. I think most of you know that. Some of you may not. She passed away a few weeks ago. And we're going to be having her service this coming Saturday at 11 o'clock. You're all invited to come. It'll be here at the church. Um, let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, that was quite a list, and I thank you that uh, you heard every one of those. So I would just lift up our young adults and ask that you would work in their lives as a result of this weekend and keep them safe. Lord, I, I lift up this Family Promise weekend, and I ask that uh, you would work in the lives of the folks who volunteer to fill them with such love for these guests that will come. Yeah, that they'll be touched. Lord, I, I also lift up the Schichtels, and I pray for the whole extended family for your comfort during this time of grief. And now, Father, help us to make some sense out of this passage. Thank you so much. Thank you. Make it come alive to us. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen. Amen. Hey, I want to just take a, a little bit of time for some travels with Dan. Um, <laughs> travels with Dan. And, um, you know, many of you know that um, this past November, Carrie and I were able to go to the Holy Land 
We went to Israel. We had a great time. We had a great time. So when, so when Ryan approached me about uh, preaching a sermon from the Sermon on the Mount, it immediately brought up some memories of a place called the Mount of Beatitudes. Uh, and here's a view from the Mount of Beatitudes. You're looking down the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it's beautiful. It's green. It's, it's fertile. It's, it's very, it, it was a wonderful place to visit. Um, this is the church that's built there. Uh, when you go to the Holy Land or when you go to Israel, uh, any place where there's even a rumor that Jesus might have stepped there, they're going to build a church. And, uh, and this was one of the nicer ones. Uh, it was great and st standing on that porch and just seeing the Sea of Galilee in front of you. And right there at that church was a Catholic retreat center. And we stayed there overnight. We had a great time. I mean, what a, what a place to stay. It was, uh, it was not fancy, but it was quiet and restful. And wow, you, you know, you just realized if Jesus really did give the Sermon on the Mount here, this is pretty cool to be able to be sleeping here. Um, Carrie and I came into this retreat center. It was dark when we arrived. Uh, we had had a full day of seeing things. We were pretty exhausted. And um, I had in mind, wow, you know, we, we had like 45 minutes before they were going to serve us supper. So I had in mind to take a nap. And Carrie had in mind to go see things. Um, she was always exploring. So um, we agreed. That's what would happen. We, we got our little card key, went down to our room, slid it in, opened the door. And then we tried to flip the switches, and it, nothing worked. And, and I was thinking, oh, we blew a fuse. So I went back to the office, to the desk, and I said, we must have blown a fuse or something. Nothing works. And he said, well, did you listen to my instructions? And I said, well, no. Um, and he said, um, what you have to do is when you get in there, you need to be um, looking for a little slot that's just to the right of the door, slide it in there, and all your electricity will come on. And when you take the key out, all the electricity goes off. That's the way we keep things around here. I said, okay, very good. So I went back, I demonstrated for Carrie, and everything worked fine. Lights came on, air conditioning came on, all, all kinds of... We, we put our luggage down on the floor, and I proceeded just to kind of curl up on one of the twin beds. I, th I think that's what retreat centers do. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I curled up, and I was, I was gone. And when I fell asleep, Carrie was there kind of reading some of the pamphlets. Uh, but then eventually she decided, I'm going to go see some things. So she went, and since we only had one card, key... She grabbed it and walked out. <laughs> Five minutes later, I'm waking up in a sweat, and it's dark, and I didn't quite remember where I was. And, and I, I kind of felt my way. I got out of the bed, and I start walking, and I'm trying to figure out what this was, and I, and I ran into my suitcase, um, barefoot, uh, so I had a good stub toe. Then I kind of got around the suitcase, and I hit the coffee table, so that was neat. Um, eventually I got to the door, I opened it up and it shed some light. Um, needless to say, I was a little bit miffed <clears throat> and I, and I caught myself saying, how could she have taken the key? Um, anyway, and then I, and then I look at this passage I'm supposed to be preaching on <laughs> and I realized, but I say to you that everyone, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother or his sister or his wife will be liable to judgment. And it's that same judgment that he says murderers will face. Now, I'm sure if, if I were to ask, well, maybe if I were to ask, no, a show of hands, how many of us committed murder? There'd be fewer of us. Um, and, and you realize, you know, the bar has been put pretty low. If you've committed murder, you're in danger of judgment. But then Jesus comes, if you're angry, 
you're in danger of that same kind of judgment. Um, he's calling us to, to far exceed the righteousness that the scribes and Pharisees called people to in that day. He's saying, I'm bringing the kingdom of God to you, and I want you to know, hey, it's a high standard, but I invite you to come and be part of it. And in his invitation, I think there's some great uh, some help. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever, oops, you, sh you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Ooh. I called someone a fool on Broadway this week. Um, I did. And uh, I, just, I just share that. It just kind of popped out. Um, let me go on and read the rest of the verses so that we can see what's coming. Um, there's like three movements in this. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. Wow. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. It's hard to stomach. Just before Jesus was teaching this uh, Sermon on the Mount and calling us into this kingdom, it says Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And I just have to propose or ask you, is that verse good news? I wrestle with it. I want to tell you that the Sermon on the Mount is very good news. And I also want to tell you that I believe this passage is very, very good news for us too. It's just that we have to dig into it a little bit and see. Um, you know, when I read those verses, Jesus is saying those verses to us, and I have to also say, but Jesus, didn't you get pretty angry in your day? Weren't there some times you got angry? Can anybody think of a time when Jesus got angry? Okay, I see hands. Anybody... Yell one out. Clear the temple. Money changers, yes. Clear the temple, the money changers. Um, there's a few of them in there. L let me share some with you. I, <clears throat> I love this picture. <laughs> this is called the angry Christ. Um, I don't know what, what got into the um, uh, artist who did this, but um, I will tell you, you know, just an aside, Carrie was a teacher for years, and she taught second grade, and she had something in her class called the POP, the Place of Peace. And when a kid would kind of act up, they, could, they were sent to the Place of Peace. The, the parents called it the Place of Punishment. But <laughs> it was really, her intent was that the, the kids would go there, and they'd just process with Jesus, because she had this beautiful picture of Jesus. I, I love it. We still have it in our house. Uh, very manly, very loving very full of life. 
And I, and I can't help but wonder, what if they come around the corner and say this? <laughs> but we don't want to strip Jesus of his humanity. He got angry. And if he got angry, but then he's telling us, don't be angry, something's not jiving there. So let's take a look at what he got angry at. Uh, he looked around at them angrily. It sounds like he's looking right at these people saying, I'm angry at you. Uh, in Mark chapter 3, what was going on, there was a man with a withered hand, man with a, a palsied hand. And uh, it was the Sabbath day. Jesus had been teaching. The scribes and the Pharisees were over here in the corner. Someone brought this guy up with this withered hand. And the scribes and Pharisees were watching to see, you going to heal him? You going to do too much work on the Sabbath? And Jesus just asked him a question. He said, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Or is it a day that we're supposed to just ignore? Nobody said anything. It was quiet. And then this verse comes, he looked around at them angrily. And it also says, because he was so grieved with the hardness of their hearts. He was so grieved with the lack of compassion that they would be after a system that couldn't even be compassionate to a need right in front of them. Um, I believe what's going on here is Jesus is so grieved, he's so moved with love for these people that he's angry at them that they can't get beyond their blindness. So, yes, he's angry. But he's angry because it's motivated by love. Another time. Um, and this is the time we all said when he, when he overturned the money changers' tables in, in the temple. Um, it says, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. And I believe what Jesus is angry at, I don't know if he's angry at the money changers. I don't know if he's angry at the Pharisees. I think he's angry at a system that exploits people. A system that was supposed to bring peace into the lives of these individuals, and instead it exploited them. It extorted them of money. Uh, and, and he went in there and he cleaned the decks. He was angry. Another time. It says, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. And you may say, when was this? John 11. Right before these verses is where you have that verse, Jesus wept. Someone I always memorized when we had a contest. Um, Jesus wept. And it's where he's standing at Lazarus' tomb, and a deep anger wells up within him. Um, I think for years I thought he was angry at all the people that were watching who just didn't have quite enough faith to think that Jesus could make a difference in that situation. But the more I look at it, no. He was angry at death. He was angry at decay. He was angry at what had entered into his creation and was ruining it. In fact, he had already said to them, generations, generations, generations before, way back in the garden, he had said, hey, all of this is yours. This is paradise. I want to walk with you and talk with you. And there's one thing I don't want you to do, and that's don't eat from that tree. And if you eat from the tree, you're going to die. And we ate from the tree, and we've been dying ever since. And Jesus is angry, angry at that which comes into his creation and ruins it. Hmm. So that brings us then to these verses. I, I look at Jesus' anger that's just been demonstrated in those three verses, uh, an anger um, that's motivated by love, an anger against systems that exploit, an anger against death that destroys his creation. And he says to us here, 
He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Wow. And I think right there is a, a difference. You know, when, when I look at Jesus' anger, I don't see it directed toward other people. Sure, people are involved in those things, but, but Jesus sees right through that to see what's the core. I, I have a hard time, especially when that guy cuts me off in traffic, especially when that person blocks my goal. I have a hard time. And so I get angry with people. And Jesus is inviting me to become part of his kingdom. And he's saying there's no room for that here. Um, this word angry is interesting. Uh, there's two words for anger in, in uh, the New Testament. Uh, one is, is anger that's an, that's an eruption, that's, a, that's an explosive. Um, it just happens like that. And then there's this word, which is kind of like a slow boil. Um, kind of like swelling up. In fact, it, it means swell up or infection that begins to just kind of infect you. Uh, the best picture, and it's not a great picture, but I, I thought of that pimple you get on your nose. And you know something's wrong. Everybody else sees it. You don't. But it doesn't feel right. And that's what this anger is. It, 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 it swells up it infects. It distorts. Um, we go to the next phrase, uh, the, the phrase about insulting the brother, insulting your brother. And I don't know if I like this translation as much. There's one translation I loved. It said, if you call your brother an idiot. Kind of, I, I like the word idiot. I mean, that's terrible, but um, <laughs> it just kind of flows. It has, it has, a, it has a sound to it. But what this word is, is the word racha, racha. It's a guttural word. You almost, you almost feel like you're gargling glass, racha. Um, and, and what it really means is empty. And, and some people have translated that to be empty-headed, hence the translation idiot. But it seems like more in, this con in, the, uh, in, in the language, it means empty person. In other words, you look at a person and you look right through them and you see nothing. You dehumanize them. They're not worth your time. You don't see them. There's an emptiness there. And you degrade them. That's where they come up with this word insult. Um, dehumanize. I, I read books um, about World War II. I'm, I'm sorry for all of you who I think I'm odd with that, but there's just something. I don't want to forget the heroism, but I don't want to forget the ugliness, the evil that happened during World War II. I cannot imagine how a group of people were vilified to the point where they weren't even seen as, as humans. Whether they were Jewish, whether they were homosexuals, whether they were gypsies, they were taken and taken away to concentration camps, so a very civilized people could forget them. And I believe what Jesus is saying here is, that's not part of my kingdom. Never dehumanize another person, because I love them. I love them. The next word 
you fool. If you say, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. Now, I had a friend in college. Oh, he took this very seriously. And, and I would, every once in a while, slip out with something. You fool. And he said, Dan, stop that. You're in danger. I said, Craig, I don't... I, anyway, we went back and forth on that throughout college. And I would just say to you, this is not about words. Because when it becomes words, it becomes legalism. And it becomes that righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And I tell you, I can come up with a lot more words that can really epitomize what this word is saying. No, it's the heart. It's the heart. And just as that racha uh, was dehumanizing people, this word, fool, um, it's more. We get the word moron from it. We also get the word morals from it. Now that's interesting, morals and moron. But really it was to be devoid of moral. And, and you see a person and you say, that person has no moral value. And I believe so much what happens when we do that is that we de-image that person because that person is made in the image of God. Every person in this room is made in the image of God. Every person in this community is made in the image of God. When you drive down Broadway and that guy cuts you off, do you realize, do you say, he's made in the image of God? <laughs> Probably not, but Jesus is saying, hey, it's my kingdom, and I'm inviting you into that, and I want to empower you to be able to do that. Not to dehumanize, not to devalue, not to de-image, but to lift up the people around us. So when he calls us to kingdom living, I believe very much that kingdom living is a commitment to God's view of people and that we need to come and embrace that and put ourselves at the mercy of that. Um, kingdom living is a commitment to God's view of people. And in Matthew 22, last week, we looked at that, that question that Jesus faced. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, hey, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. It's the first, it's the greatest commandment. But a second is equally important. There's no less importance in this. This is just as important as loving God. And that's love your neighbor as yourself. And then, then this last sentence, the entire law, all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know, when I, I told you I like the word idiot, one of the reasons I, I, I mean, it just rolls off. And usually when it rolls off of my tongue, it's talking about me. It's usually saying, you idiot. How could you forget that? Why didn't you write that down? to write? You idiot. Why did you run over the sprinkler with your lawnmower? You idiot. And I begin to realize, wow. You know, this passage is saying, I've got to love myself. I've got to come to grips with the fact that I too am made in the image of God. And when I criticize, when I say, I'm an idiot, I'm saying to God, you made an idiot here. We are made in the image of God. 
We're made in the image of God. Um, I go to Ephesians chapter 4, and a great series of verses. In your anger, do not sin. Oops, sorry. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. So right there in those verses, it seems to tell us, hey, you can be angry and not sin, but you need to be aware of what that anger is. So, so taking some time just to, to, to bring yourself into the awareness of what's going on inside of me right now. Is this an anger that's motivated by love? Is this an anger that sees this person as totally devoid of value? Is this an anger that's angry at a system that's exploiting God's creation? Or is this an anger that ah, sees a person as an enemy? Hmm. In your anger, do not sin. Let's become aware of, um, of what kind of anger. And then... It says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Let's take action. Let's take action to deal with that anger that we have. Um, you know, and <clears throat> I've had friends who have said, well, we take that very seriously. If we ever have an argument, we are not going to put our heads on the pillow until we have taken care of that. And I heard a hallelujah over here. I, and yet, you know, I think it's, it's a great thing... What we should be doing is as soon as possible, we need to deal with that anger. We need to take action. But I'm not saying don't sleep until you deal with it. But deal with it. And then finally, wow, do not give the devil a foothold. Um, this is very interesting because I always looked at anger as something we, we, we deal with it, almost psychological stuff. But anger is spiritual warfare. Because if we don't deal with the anger in our hearts toward other people, toward people walking around imaging God, the devil may get a foothold and he'll cause even more havoc. And so dealing with it, having the reason of why we deal with anger. So I look at that. Awareness, action, reason. And, and I say... I, I can be aware, that's good. And I say, I'm glad to know the reason, but I also say, so what kind of action am I supposed to take to be able to deal with anger? Um, you know, I hopped online. Wow, there's all kinds of suggestions. Um, I don't know if you've ever looked how to control your anger. But, uh, I, you know, I read, and, and there was breathing exercises. <sighs> um, there was... Uh, Close your eyes and picture a beach. I love beaches, but it didn't do anything for my anger. Um, <laughs> it can be stopping and, and visualizing that person that you're angry at and then seeing them in their pajamas. That didn't work either. Anyway, you can look online. You'll find 25 ways to take care of your anger. I want to give you one way. One way. And I believe it's what Jesus Christ is talking about. And I believe it's God's way of dealing with our anger. And I think it's coming to grips, which is what the gospel is. Simple. Um, a few weeks ago, in fact, I shouldn't say a few weeks ago, I think all six years that Ryan has been here, he's been teaching us more and more about what the gospel truly is. Um, and that there's, there's really four phases of the gospel. And I found this little drawing of it. You know, there's creation in which God made this beautiful garden and he, and he put us into that garden and, and, he, and he called us to, to live to the fullest with him. 
But there was a stricture about it, and, and we fell. We chose our own way. We thought we knew the best. And in that fall, boy, creation began to groan. And we saw a brokenness, a brokenness with our relationship with God, a brokenness with our relationship with each other. Well, then Jesus came and stepped into the world, the Son of God, God himself, came into the world, and he redeemed it. He bought it back. And in buying it back, he said, I've come to restore. And, and I asked that question, what does restoration mean? You know, I always thought, well, my view of the gospel was it started in Genesis 3. We made a mistake. Everything was crummy. Jesus came down, took the crumminess on him, and made things right, and heaven's coming. And yet here, Jesus came to redeem and to restore. And I want to tell you, I think he came to restore what was going on in the garden. Uh, I, I look forward to heaven, and, and I love that song, I can only imagine. I can only imagine the heavenly glories. But I've got to tell you, I can only imagine what the garden was like, too. Um, I believe very much, if it, if it wouldn't fly in the garden, I don't think it really has much place in the kingdom of God in the kingdom that Jesus Christ came and started there. Uh, in, in the Sermon on the Mountain tells us this is the way to live in the kingdom. Um, you know, I, as I was thinking through that, I was just picturing, I wonder what it would have been like if, if God came down one day to the garden and Eve comes out alone and Eve says, you know, it's good to see you, God. Um, thanks for Adam. He's a good man, but he is kind of an idiot. I think God would have looked at her and said, you've been getting too close to that tree. <laughs> God calls us to view people as he views them. Um, I, I was flipping through the, the computer and I came across a, a, a thing by good old Max Lucado. I haven't read Max Lucado in a while, but I love his stuff. Um, and, and he was talking about being made in the image of God. And he said these words, you are made in God's image for God's glory. There's, there's something of God in you, and that makes you very special. The reason God loves you is because there's something of him inside of you, and he wants to bring that out. And you know, that's a, that's a wonderful statement for us to wrestle with with ourselves and realize, yes, he wants to bring the image of God out more and more so more people can see it. It's almost like when I was a kid, I used to collect pennies. I, I should have collected quarters, but I collected pennies. Um, but in those pennies, you know, a lot of times you get a really dirty penny and, and you could hardly see Lincoln on it. So you'd sit there and you'd scrub and you'd polish. And all of a sudden, little by little, the image of Lincoln would come out. And that's what God's doing. He's polishing us and in the, in the, his image is coming out. But I want to tell you, he desires his image to come out in everybody that's around us. Not just those of us in here, but those of us out there on Broadway, those of us in our community, those in our neighborhood, those of us that we, we pass in the store. He wants us to realize they too are made in the image of God. And we have no right to be angry at those people. Um, Romans 8 looks at the work that Jesus did. Uh, so now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And I just stop there. The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you. Can you claim that? Yeah, we may say anger still seems to creep up. Yes, it does. 
But God invites us to come alongside and let his spirit come in and let his power bring life into us and take little by little by little by little. See that anger disappear as little by little by little by little we see people in the eyes of God. I love that last phrase. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. Yeah. I believe this this kingdom living means we have to have a commitment to see people as God sees them. Um, Going on to the next movement in those verses. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Okay, that first movement, first movement was talking about how we have anger toward someone else. This movement is talking about how someone has anger toward us. And oftentimes we think, well, if they're angry toward us, they've got to work it out. And Jesus says, not in my kingdom. And I'm inviting you to come into my kingdom and be instruments of reconciliation. You too can come and make a difference. Um, in 1 John, 1 John chapter, oh, kingdom living is a commitment to reconciliation. Kingdom living is a commitment to reconciliation. I just want to read you these verses in 1 John. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God. And knows God. If we love one another, God abides in us. His love is perfected in us. We are called to love one another. And we love one another as the power of God fills us and his love spills out to others around us. Interesting quote I saw by, by Paul Tripp, who's a counselor over on the East Coast. If you want the litmus test for living your best God-glorifying life right here, right now, Well, don't look primarily at your theological knowledge. Don't look at your biblical literacy or even your church involvement, although those are very important. Instead, you should examine the quality of your relationships. Wow. If you want to see where you stand in walking with God, look at the relationships that you have around you. Look at how you view those people. Look at how you see them. Look and see, am I motivated to go to them and make a difference? To seek reconciliation. You may be asking, well, how do we go about reconciliation? You know, there's a a great book called Peacemakers. Ken Sandy um, is is the author of that book. And he's come up with some some guidelines for reconciliation. Uh, Be prayerful for the situation. If you sense, if you're at the altar and you're getting ready to worship and all of a sudden you remember, whoa, this person's got a problem with me. Go, but go prayerfully. And, and maybe I should have worded this, continue to be prayerful in the situation because who put that idea in your thought anyway? I doubt that it was you. God is always talking to us. God is always there with us. Talk to him. Be prayerful as you go to this person to seek reconciliation. Um, be humble as you go. Realize you're not going so that you can win a point. Hey, you're angry at me, and guess what? You're wrong. No. You're going to seek reconciliation, restoration, because that's what Jesus came to do, to restore. And along with that humility is be willing to admit 
the part that you had to play in that. Ooh, this is the uncomfortable one. So I'll let Ken Sandy tell us about it. Um, he said, even if you did not start the dispute, your lack of understanding, your careless words, your impatience, your failure to respond in a loving manner may have aggravated the situation. Prayerfully examine your role in the conflict. Then write down everything you've done or failed to do that may have been a factor. Boy, that last little one's a kicker. But take that step. Approach humbly and understand the part that you had in this. Um, and be mindful that God's in control. You know, I think too many times we want to have control. Um, I, want, I want to go. I want to make sure this person forgives me. This person gets over it. Hey, God's in control. He's got his timing. So I need to be realistic about this whole process. And as I go and seek reconciliation with somebody, it may not be reciprocated. And you know what? That's okay. God didn't say you had to be reciprocated. He said, go Go to that person. And then come back and worship me. Come back and worship me. Um, <laughs> this, is, um, this is a very special person to me. This is my dad. This is my dad. Um, dad died 10 years ago on Memorial Day. This picture was taken toward the end of his life. Um, he had Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's was beginning to sap some of who he was. But I'll always remember some very special times with him. He was a, dad was a pastor. I was a PK, a preacher's kid, in case you didn't know that. That's, that explains some of the things about me. But, um, but dad was, was a pastor in little churches. And, and so I got to see firsthand what it was like just to be a pastor, oh boy, with all kinds of people. The story that I want to share with you is, and, and I've shared this with some of you. It's very, it's very special to me. Um, I, I was not a great athlete, but I, I did enjoy playing football. And in high school, um, our team actually was fairly good. Uh, my senior year, we were vying for the championship. We were playing our arch rival. Um, now, you've got to realize, it's towns of 2,000, 2,500 people. Um, but anyway, it, it was the kind of school where during the halftime, I'd have to grab my trombone and go out and play in the pet band. Anyway, I was a running back, if you can imagine that. And um, we were set up. My good friend Dave was the, was the quarterback. The call was uh, we were going to do an end around. I was going to be the lead blocker. Charlie, my friend, who's the running back, was behind me. And Dave was going to pitch the ball to him. We are going to go around the end. Well, we started the play. I'm going, getting ready to block. And all of a sudden, I felt something in my butt. And I thought, what was that? And I looked just in time to see the ball kind of rolling away. And I realized, ooh, I, think, I don't think the ball got to Charlie. Um, somehow my pads got in the way. And the ball, and so I turned around to try to get the ball, and in the process I kicked the ball another five yards behind. Eventually, eventually Dave, the quarterback, fell on the ball, and we lost 15 yards. Um, the situation um, escalated from there. We, uh, the three of us went off, and coach made us sit on the bench, and, and after a little while he came over, and he started to ream us. Oh, my goodness. I can still... It was the kind of lecture where you keep your helmet on and just put your head down. And he just went to town, yelling, yelling, yelling. Um, all kinds of words at us. And then, then he kind of stopped to take a breath. And I kid you not, in, in that breath, I heard a voice from the crowd behind. Not a way to give him confidence, coach. <laughs> and I'm sitting there saying, oh, I recognize that voice. <laughs> I, I kept my helmet on. Um, 
Anyway, uh, the giveaway was then there was this little feminine voice that said, I agree with you, Reverend Elliot. <laughs> so then I knew I was toast. The, co the coach would know it was my dad who said that. Um, anyway, coach didn't say another word. He kind of walked away and went back to the game. Dave, who was sitting next to me, said, hey, was that your dad? I said, yeah, I think it was. He said, that was cool. Anyway, after the game, we lost. We lost the game. We lost the championship. I'm walking out to the locker room, and coach came up to me. He said, uh, Dan, he kind of hemmed in the hall. He said, Dan, could you just explain to your dad? You know, it gets pretty emotional. And then sometimes I lose my temper. I said, oh, coach, don't worry. I'll, I'll talk to dad. So I, we took the bus ride home. It was a long bus. Um, I walked home and uh, walked in the house. And as I walked in the house... Dad came up to me, and he said, Dan, I think I need to go see Coach Mack. You want to you go with me? And I said, sure, <laughs> sure. So we walked. You know, the coach was probably, I don't know, a third of a mile away. It was, it was a small town. So we walked. I cannot tell you what we talked about. I, it wasn't about the game. Um, we just talked about a variety of things, except at one point, I did say, hey, Dad, what are you going to do if, if coach doesn't respond to this? And dad just said, hey, it's up to God. So we got to coach's house, rang the doorbell. And wouldn't you know it, Coach Mack opens the door. And then I'm looking at these two guys. And coach is a little, ooh. And he goes, well, hello, Reverend Elliot. Hi, hi Dan. And, uh, and dad just stuck his hand out. And coach stuck his hand out. They shook hands. And dad just said, you know, coach, I was wrong today. And uh, I, I need just to apologize. I know it's, I know it's tense out there. You, you want to win the game. And you're working with these boys. And I appreciate it very much. Please forgive me. I, coach didn't know what to respond. But I don't even remember. I mean, he had a big smile. He said, oh, Reverend Elliot, don't you worry. I know things. Yeah, on and on. But... Dad and coach were friends from that time on. There was a reconciliation that took place, and I was able to be right on the front row seat. Loved it. Kingdom living means we're committed to reconciliation. It's not easy, but God says, I didn't leave you alone. I'm going to help you as you do that. Um, let me take you to the last section of verses, the last movement, verses 25 and 26. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you'll never get out until you've paid the last penny. You know, it seems like each one of these couplets of verses goes a little bit deeper, or maybe I should say a little bit higher in its demand. First, we're not to be angry at the people around us. We're, we're to see them as God sees them. Secondly, even when someone's angry at us, we're supposed to go and seek reconciliation. Thirdly, if someone's our enemy, if someone's our accuser, if someone's trying to take us to court to get every last penny, we're supposed to come to terms with that person. Ooh. Some people have translated this to mean you should never go to court. I, I can't say that. We live in a broken, fallen world. But I do believe Jesus invites us into his kingdom and gives us the grace that he has to seek to come to terms before things get so desperate. Um, the same Ken Sandy, who wrote that book, Peacemakers, had a, a little encounter with um, some folks who 
who called him, and um, they said there were, there were four partners in this business. Three were Christians, one was non-Christian. And um, they decided they were going to sell the business and split the profits, and this one fellow who was a non-Christian said, I should get more, because I put in a ton of time. And these three were saying, well, no. Oh, listen to that, it's raining. Um, no, you shouldn't get more. And um, it was back and forth, back and forth. And finally, this guy said, we're going to go to court and settle it. And these guys said, I don't want to go to court. So they called up Ken Sandy, and they said, can you come and mediate for us? And so Ken Sandy came, and the guy said, I don't want to go to mediation, I want to go to court. So you had this conflict. Finally, Ken Sandy was talking with the three, the three Christian guys. And he said to them, have you taken time to really count the cost? And... Um, these three guys said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, how much time have you given? How much has this cost you? And the one guy pulled out his calculator and he said, well, you know what? With the amount of time it's taken, it's probably like $5,000 worth of our time. And Sandy said, well, how much will a court case cost? He said, oh, probably 10, 20 times that. So anyway, next guy says, well, you know what? I've lost a lot of sleep over this. And as I've lost sleep, I've became very impatient with my wife and my kids. It's cost me some relationship at home. And they finally said, okay, let's just, let's just talk to him and meet him where he wants to meet. So the three of them went in. They kind of came to a mutual point in the middle, and they agreed to the terms. Two weeks later, Ken Sandy was walking, and he saw one of these guys, and he went up to him and said, hey, how did it all work out? And the guy said, you know what? It's terrific. He said, if I had known this would happen, I would have done it much, much sooner. That's one of those illustrations where, yeah, it worked. I've also seen illustrations where it hasn't worked quite that smoothly. But you know, as I look at these verses, and I'm not trying to over-spiritualize, but I do want to point out something else. Oh, let me just give you this little commitment. Kingdom living is commitment that God's good news is really my good news. And what do I mean by that? As I look at these verses, I ask, who's really my accuser? Who is really my enemy? And I'll tell you, it's the person, it's that, it's that enemy who whispers to me, you're not worth the image of God. No, God's not pleased with you. You need to do this, 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 and this in order to please God. And I'll tell you, the accuser is always at our tail, whispering in our ears, demeaning the fact that we are the image of God, trying to dehumanize us. And we need to come to terms with Satan and say to him, you know what? Jesus took care of that. Jesus took care of that because now his righteousness is my righteousness, and I've been invited into his kingdom, and I don't have to deal with what you're whispering in my ear is anymore. I am worth something to God Almighty. He loves me. I am his image bearer into this society, and I've been called to carry his image to other people. I remember I was going through a tough time one time, and Carrie put a note in my Bible, and I opened it up one morning, and it just said, we hate Satan's guts. <laughs> I love it. Hey, we're, we're out of time, but let me just, I, I put one last little thing down there on your, on your notes, and it's, and it's just, what, what's, what can we do? You know, yes, we struggle with anger. Yes, we struggle with reconciliation. Yes, we struggle with trusting God that 
that we really do have worth. I would, I would call you to a simple acrostic. And, and I don't mean to trivialize this, but whoops, I'm going to say, relax. Relax. Um, you know, and before I go through what these acrostics stand for, let me just say, if you're here this morning and, and you have a problem with anger, I want to encourage you, get some help. Get some help. We don't need road on hurting people around us. But get some help. And, and I would encourage, I think the vast majority of us, yes, we wrestle with anger erupting in our hearts. But I want to encourage you to grab on to the fact that the gospel of God is the good news for me. And I need to relax. I need to rely on God. I need to rely on His power. That power of the life-giving spirit working within me little by little by little, changing my view of the people around me. I need to engage with God. I need to talk with Him. I need to process with Him. I need to pray with Him. He is with me wherever I go. He's with you wherever you go. You are never alone. You are never forsaken. Talk to Him. Engage with Him. Um, we need to look for God. Now i got to admit, I'd, I'd love looking out in creation. I love looking up at the sky here in Colorado. I love looking at trees. Trees are just amazing creations to me. And just to think all that goes on inside, only a, an awesome God could create that. But I think God also wants us to look at his creation walking right by us. He wants us to see each other as his image. He wants us to see people that walk by us as, as people that are carrying a piece of him inside. And that includes those of us who have committed our lives to Jesus and have accepted that truth that, that we are in his image and those who have never even had a dream about it and think God is a farce. They're still made in the image of God and we're called to go to them. So look for God around you. Affirm God's work in his word. Affirm the fact that his good news is right here. And his invitation to become part of his kingdom is a very real invitation. And then X. What are we going to do for X? What's your X factor in this whole situation with anger? In this whole situation with stepping into his kingdom? I'll tell you what my X factor is. My X factor is worry, anxiety, and you know what? I realize at the base of that is just simple trusting God regardless of what may be thrown out at me to know that God is in control. I don't know what your X factor is, but I know I've got to work with anxiety. And I love the fact that Jesus has invited me to be part of his kingdom even though I can get anxious about it because it's his power that's going to make a difference in our lives. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you, Jesus, that you stepped into this world to bring redemption and restoration. Thank you that you, you desire so much to, to re-engage us and to walk with us and talk with us. And, and Lord, you do that. Not only that, you have made us your temples. How amazing is that? And I praise you for that. Lord, Give us your view of people. Help us to see others as you see them. 
Give us the courage to seek reconciliation with one another and with those outside of our body. And Lord, yeah, give us the trust, the faith to embrace your good news as our good news. We love you. We love you. We want to walk strong in your kingdom. Teach us, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen.